Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Today we start one of the most important series that we'll ever have at New Spring. You know I always say that. But I'm saying it today for a specific reason. See, this series tackles a nagging question that a lot of Christ followers have that rarely ever gets admitted in church. I don't know how many of you grew up in church like I did, but did you ever notice if you grew up in like a traditional church, how many really important things to you just never got really addressed? And so today we're going to tackle one of those questions that I don't know I've ever heard addressed all that much in church. And, and here's the thing, you know, you could say, well, Mark, I'm here today with a friend. I'm not sure I'm spiritually resolved. I'm, I'm not sure what I believe spiritually. I'm not a Christ follower. I'm open. I'm exploring. Well, here's the weird thing about this series. I think it could actually uh, be interesting to you because this series may address a question that you have about us who are Christ followers. Because you, you've heard a lot of the promises that God gives to people who accept Christ and the lives changing and all of that kind of thing. And you're saying, well, I'm not really sure that's what I see in a lot of Christ followers. So this series is important because it tackles that nagging question that a lot of people uh, have, maybe and preachers don't talk about. So here it goes. Here it is. Let's just un- unwrap it and get real. A person prays to accept Jesus. And we have that experience at the end of almost every service at New Spring Church. If I'm speaking or someone else is speaking, we we most times do not want to leave a service without giving people an opportunity to embrace Jesus Christ and have a new life. And some minister, like me, will say, as I probably will even say today, I already said it twice this weekend, if you just prayed this prayer, if you just prayed from your heart to receive Jesus Christ, you just made the biggest decision of your life. You know something's happened. That's true. But as time goes on, there can be another feeling that can come around, and that is a feeling that says something like this, I expected more. When I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I kind of thought more was going to happen, but even as a Christ follower, I know I've accepted Christ, but even as a Christ follower, after a while, there's kind of a dryness, there's kind of a sameness. And I know there's routine, and routine is a good thing, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. It's just this sense of being stuck are being locked into a situation where we don't seem to make a lot of progress. And when that happens, there are confusing feelings that can well up inside us. And I know I've heard these things expressed through the years. (laughs) You might think, did I do something wrong? Mark said, here's the prayer, pray it with me. I prayed it with Mark. Maybe those weren't exactly the right words. And by the way, there aren't magic words. It's not exactly right words. God's just looking for a yes with that being based on believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose again from the grave. But I think I have heard people say, well, Mark, you know, I just feel stuck in my Christian life. Maybe I didn't pray the right words. Did I do it wrong or something? Or there are those who will say, well, maybe this is all there is to being a Christian. I thought, I thought more was going to happen. I expected more, but maybe this is all there is. And those commitments that I made to Christ after I accepted him, I'm not sure... I'm never going to follow up on those because I expected more. And tragically, there are some who go so far as to say, I'm just going to go back to my old way of living. I came, 
I felt something when I was in that church service. I felt something when I was watching the service on television. And I, I prayed to receive Christ, but I don't think this is really taking in my life, so maybe I'll just go back to where I was. I mean, there are those who will even accuse God of bait and switch. God, you promised me life. You promised me life to the max, and all I get is this sameness. <laughs> well, to quote an old television series, this series boldly goes to the final frontier, and it says, yes, indeed, there is more. There is much more. And we're not talking about heaven here. I mean, that's important to talk about. When I talk about the promised land, we're not talking about heaven. I'll explain why in just a moment. What we're talking about is, we're, is about living in God's destiny for your life. I'm not blowing sunshine at you when I tell you that if you're God's daughter, if you're God's son, if you've prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has a destiny for you. God has a plan for your life. He has an individualized plan. I mean, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows every thought of your heart. He knows what makes you cry, what makes you dream. God knows everything about you, and he has a specific plan for your life. And we want to discover that. We want to live in God's full destiny for our lives. And, and let me just follow a flight plan with you about today's sermon. As I shared with you before, back during the offering slot, I fear that today's talk is going to be a little bit dry. Because what we're doing is we're setting up the problem. We're going to start next week. In fact, next week's message is one of the most exciting messages I've ever brought. It's called Toes in the Water. And I want to preach it right now. <laughs> but before I preach about how to start going to the promised land, living on our full destiny, we need to just have an honest talk about what it means to be stuck in a wilderness. Well, I want to give you all six weeks at once, but all I can do is make a start. But if you will stay with us for this series, I promise you there's an enormous deliverable. There's an enormous takeaway for this series for every daughter and every son of God. So let's make a start. <laughs> I want you to think about the word pictures. Pictures. Hey, I'm giving away my age and I'm finding some of you who are older. When you were a kid, did you ever have a Bible that had pictures in it? I did. And I got to tell you, those pictures helped me survive a lot of church services because I heard a lot of really boring sermons. At least they were boring to a seven-year-old. We didn't have Kids World in our church. So I would thumb through the book while the preacher was talking and look at these pictures. Well, I'm not talking about those kind of pictures, but there are pictures in your Bible. And by pictures here, I mean there are symbols of great spiritual truth. Uh, for instance, if you were just to look at this from a very, uh, from a very literal standpoint, when you receive communion, you have pictures. The juice is not the blood of Jesus. The bread is not his body, but they're pictures. They're symbols of Jesus' blood and, and body. But on a deeper level, there are stories in the Old Testament that are pictures of our New Testament experience with Christ. And so the Bible tells us that God wants us to unpack those pictures and learn the lessons from them. The Word of God tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that the stories are there for our instruction. We learn best from stories, don't we? I do. I learn, a lot, I learn a whole lot more from stories than lists. If somebody gives me a list with my ADD, I might be fortunate to remember two things on the list. If somebody tells me a story, I'll own that the rest of my life. And it's, it's, when Jesus came into our world, what did he do? He told stories. He told parables. So today we're going to talk about a story. In fact, we'll be talking about it for the next five weeks after today. The story is going to, from the Old Testament is going to teach us 
about how to live the Christian life. And the story is God's people leaving slavery in Egypt, going into the wilderness, coming out of the wilderness, and going into the promised land. Now, Scripture tells us over and over in the New Testament that that story is a picture of our experience with God. A whole lot of the book of Hebrews is based on that. And since that story is true, if we will learn the lessons, they actually have the ability to revolutionize our lives. So I'm going to take on an impossible task. What I want to do is in five minutes, I want to give you the whole story that really is pretty much the narrative of, of the first five books of the Bible. But here is the story. In the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us there was a man named Abraham who lived in a pagan place and God came to him and said, Abraham, I want you to leave where you live and just go with me wherever I decide to go. And Abraham became the father of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. I, I had the privilege of, of uh, going to Israel as, at the invitation of the Israeli foreign minister. And when we were traveling around south of Jerusalem, the guide that the foreign ministry had assigned to us took us to a place south of Jerusalem and we stood up on this high tower and he said, as he pointed to the valley, he said, this is where Abraham and Sarah first came into the land. Well, God had said to Abraham in, in what we call the Abrahamic covenant that God was gonna give him a land and not just him, but by extension, his entire family. God said to Abraham, look every direction you can go and I'm gonna promise you a land. That's where we get the idea of the promised land. Now, Abraham really didn't get to experience that because he was just the federal head of the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel. Well, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a son named Joseph. You know a lot of the story, many of you. Joseph was hated by his brothers. They sold him into slavery. So where did he wind up? He wound up in Egypt. God blessed him. He wound up, run, wound up running the country. And he brought the rest of his family over to Egypt. At that time, there were only 70 people in the whole Jewish nation. But within 400 years, the, the people of God had so proliferated that there were somewhere around 3 million of them living in Egypt. And Pharaoh woke up one day and he said, if I don't do something to tamp down this race, I mean, racism has been a problem long with us. If I don't do something to drive these people down, they're going to be more numerous than us and they're going to they're going to overwhelm us. And so he, he turned the Jewish people into a slave labor force, forced them to build the pyramids, forced them to do a lot of other projects. And the treatment became more draconian as time went on and on. And the people chafed under the bondage they were in. And God raised up a guy named Moses. And God said to Moses, I'm going to choose you to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt into a promised land. And Pharaoh, you know the story, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who is God that I should let my whole slave labor force go? And God gave him 10 offers he couldn't refuse. It was like God giving Pharaoh 10 business cards. This is the God you asked about. I mean, God sent 10 plagues. Water turned to blood. One of them was frogs. Frogs everywhere. The Bible's graphic about this. There were frogs in the kitchen. People stuck their fork in a dill pickle and it hopped away. I mean, it was just <laughs> lice. And I mean, God was just like saying, you, you want to know who I am? Let these people go or else. But after nine plagues, Pharaoh still wouldn't let them go. And God said to Moses, I got one more. I got one more thing. And when this one happens, Pharaoh's going to let you go. He's going to be glad to get rid of you. 
God said to Moses, the death angel is going to come over the land of Egypt. The firstborn of every house is going to die unless the blood is put on the doorpost from the Passover lamb. And that, the idea of the death angel passing over, that's where we get the idea of Passover. And the people of God listened to Moses. They had the Passover supper for the first time, took the blood of the lamb and they put it over the doorpost. The death angel passed over, but with all the the death in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh and all of his officials said, please go. And Moses takes off with this new nation. And it's not like the movie where you look at the movie and like Moses is leading 300 people. There are 3 million people. You don't make any fast moves with 3 million people. But they begin to travel toward the Red Sea, which was in the direction ultimately of north in, in Israel. But Pharaoh, after a while, decided that he had second thoughts about letting his slave labor force go, and he decided to chase them. And so now the Israelites are caught in between the devil and the deep Red Sea. There's Pharaoh coming behind them. There's the Red Sea at flood stage in front of them. They don't know what else to do. They're crying out to God. And God said, Moses got this taken care of. Tell the people to stand still and watch the glory of God. I love that verse, Exodus 14. So Moses just puts his rod out over the Red Sea like God said. The Red Sea opens up. All three million people go across. Pharaoh said, have you ever figured out, have you ever wondered about this? I always wonder why people that reject God are so stubborn. If I'm Pharaoh and I'm back there with my army and their God just opened up the Red Sea and it's standing, you know, in in piles on both sides. If I'm Pharaoh, I'm like, I don't want to mess with their God anymore. But no, he just goes right into the Red Sea after them. And God said, okay, close the Red Sea, game, set, match. And Pharaoh and his army wiped out. Israelites get on the other side. They have a worship service. They have a pep rally. We are rocking and going. The only problem is now they're in a desert. They're in a wilderness. But they get to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And I'm sorry for giving you the name of the town, but this town name is really important because see, Kadesh Barnea is like on the border of the promised land. It is, Kadesh Barnea is situated on the edge of the wilderness, the edge of the desert, and the edge of the promised land. And they get there, and Moses said, here we are. We're going to go. We're going to go over into the promised land. God said, he's going to give it to us. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. I heard this when I was a kid and thought, it sounds sticky to me. But you know what the metaphor means. Plenty. And Moses said, it's, it's time for us to go. But the people began to choke at a moment of destiny. And they said to Moses, we don't know if this land is everything God says it is or not, so we need to send spies over there to check it out. So Moses said, okay. They took a spy from each of the tribes, 12 12 tribes, 12 spies. They go over to the promised land. They find out, sure, it's everything God said it was. It's a problem over there. They're giants. And they said, 10 of them said, we don't want to go. Thankfully, Joshua and Caleb said, hey, it's a great land. It's everything God said. God's going to help us. He wouldn't send us there if he wasn't going to help us. And Joshua and Caleb said, we can go. But, you know, when people turn bitter and angry at God, they get mean. They actually wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. So God says, okay, you don't want to go into the promised land? You're going to wander around in the desert for 40 years until the old generation dies off and a new generation comes along who will do what I asked. And that new generation did go into the promised land. This young generation, they had the faith to obey God. That's one reason I love kids ministry and student ministry here at New Spring. Oftentimes God will work with a new generation. And I always want to see God work with the next generation. 
Well, those are the pictures of our journey. That's what we're going to learn from as we go forward. So let's take it apart. And like I said, this is kind of a dry sermon, but we're just going to kind of understand the metrics of the story as we go forward. What does leaving Egypt mean? We know that they were slaves. God brought them out. God took, what does that mean to you and me? Well, it's a picture of what we call salvation. It is that free grace of God that takes us from being a lost sinner and makes us a member of God's family, gives us eternal life. Our name's written in heaven. Holy Spirit of God moves in. That's free. It won't cost you anything. And that's how it was with the people of Israel. God did it all. They were slaves. God sent the 10 plagues. All they had to do was to apply the blood. And from that point on, God took care of everything until they got across the Red Sea. Never again did Egypt bother them. The promise, that, that, that's just what leaving Egypt means, salvation. And I think many of us have experienced that. And if you haven't yet, I pray you will. It's free. You can, going to heaven isn't anything you do. You can't join a particular church to do it. No church can do that for you. Not even something as sacred as baptism can get you into heaven. Because as you've heard already, Wichita water can't wash away anybody's sin. Only Jesus can make you a child of God. And there's nothing that we can do. So that's what leaving Egypt means. So what is the promised land? Well, some people say, well, that's got to be heaven, Mark. I mean, I grew up in church singing a song, I'm bound for the promised land. But promised land is not heaven. Can't be. Because when you start thinking about the elements of the picture, they don't connect with heaven. The promised land had to be fought for. Heaven doesn't have to be fought for. There were giants in the promised land to conquer. There are no giants to conquer in heaven. If they were unfaithful to God, the enemy could come in and encroach. If God's people replaced him with idols, the enemy could come in as they did in a few hundred years and carry them away. And that can never be heaven. So what is a promised land? It's a picture of living in the place that God wants you to live. It's living the life that God has for you individually. And, and we could talk about that. And we will talk about that as we go on. But ultimately, there are three elements of experiencing the life that God has for you. And here they are. Peace. Number one, peace. Peace with God. Peace within ourselves. You know, I think there's so much emotional turmoil today. And I know that some of it's, some of it's physical and, under, and I deal with some of it myself, but I'll be honest with you. I've looked at my own life and you, know, you guys know I deal with anxiety issues. I've wondered how much of my anxiety stems from I'm not living in that place of fullness of the promised land where I experience the peace of God. And then secondly, freedom. I mean, when the, when the Jews were taken out of Egypt, they weren't slaves anymore. They didn't have the bondage anymore. They were free to be what God destined them to be. They weren't. And here's the thing for many of us today, we need to experience that freedom. We need to get out of the land of trying to please everybody, trying to please people. Isn't it wonderful to be at the place where all I got to do is please my God? And blessing. God had said to them, you get over to the promised land, they're going to be, you're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to eat from vineyards you didn't plant. Get, Canaan was a turnkey job. And God was like, you're going to experience my best in blessing. So when we talk about the promised land, that's what we're talking about. But church, please listen to me. In between Egypt and the promised land was a desert. There was a wilderness, a dry place where it felt like survival was a challenge. Now let's make this practical in your life and my life. In between salvation and God's destined life for us, <laughs> there is a wilderness. Preachers don't tell you that, do they? 
It's like, accept Jesus and your life will be great. Well, it's true, but there is a wilderness in between salvation and the promised land. Let me make it practical. You, You accept Christ, everything's awesome. It's like leaving Egypt. You celebrate, you know something has happened inside, but after a while, the newness of that experience of salvation can kind of wear off because now all of a sudden, we're experiencing a lot of the difficulties and the challenge of being a Christ follower. See, here's the thing. When the Israelites left Egypt, (laughs) they weren't in Egypt anymore, but a whole lot of Egypt was still inside of them. Why? Because even though they were following God, all their experience had been in Egypt. They didn't have any experience yet in the promised land. So they were new people in a new destiny, in a new place, but the problem was all their experience was in the life that they used to have. And I think that happens to all of us as Christ followers. Even though we've accepted Christ, we're God's daughters and God's sons with all the promises of God. The problem is that so much of our experience is in that old nature that we talked about in the last series. And so it's a little bit of a challenge. In fact, it's a whole lot of a challenge to just move through that dry season after we accept Christ on our way to the promised land. And I just want to say to anybody who may be there today, that is part of the journey. But we're now about to learn the first most important lesson in this series. And this is a major life-changing truth. And I pray that all of us will get it today. And before I give it to you, we need to pull a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 2. Every time I read this, I just, it almost takes my breath away. Normally, It only takes 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. Now, Mount Sinai is where God first talked to the people of Israel. And Kadesh Barnea, you know already, it's the border of the promised land. So read it one more time with me. Normally, it only takes 11 days. Verse 3, but 40 years after. Now, can you juxtapose those two things in your mind? Normally, it just takes 11 days, but 40 years later. Something must have really gone wrong, right? I mean, you, if you've got somebody that lives in Kansas City and they're coming to see you and they say, we're on our way, and you would say, well, normally it takes three hours to get from Kansas City to Wichita, but five years later they showed up. <laughs> you know, they really had car trouble <laughs> or they took the wrong road or something. <laughs> this, this is just the most curious juxtaposition. Normally it just takes 11 days, but 40 years later, Well, something did go wrong. I referenced it earlier. They got right to the border of the promised land within that short period of time from leaving Egypt. God said, it's time to go over. And they said, we're not gonna go. Now, New Springers, for those of us who are in the wilderness, we're just about to learn one of the most important things that we can ever learn because some of us have accepted Christ and we believe the promises of God, but the problem is we're stuck and now we're angry at God because we don't feel like we're getting anywhere. But think through this for a moment. I mean, what's God going to do with them? They can't go into the promised land because they chose not to go. They can never be lost again, so they can never go back to Egypt. There was only one place for them, the wilderness, the desert. And that's why they wandered around for 40 years. What was meant to be a short season became a lifetime. And what was meant to be a lifetime never happened. And I'm going to summon up my courage as a pastor in the 21st century and say, that is where I see so many Christians today. And dare I say it, that's where I see the average Christian today. They know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They're going to heaven. But because of problems that we're gonna talk about, 
they won't go into the promised land. So God says, I don't have any other place for you. You're just going to have to go in circles and be stuck. So what do we learn today? I mean, let's just pick up a couple of lessons from the wilderness. What can we learn from this story that we've already covered? Well, the first thing is the wilderness is a place for lessons. And the reason why we go through this experience is God wants us to learn some lessons. I mean, the Israelites were only supposed to be there for 11 days, but what did God want them to learn before they went into the land where they were living in houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant, you know, eat from those? Why, what, why did God want them to go through the wilderness? Because that was their opportunity to learn that no matter what happened in their life, God could take care of them. But it was only supposed to be a short lesson, a short season. But what the Holy Spirit is saying to me about my own life is if I refuse to learn the lessons, I'm not going to move on to the next level. I mean, I'm going to stay in the wilderness until I learn the lessons that I need to learn. The second lesson that we can pull is that the worst thing can happen to us, and this is what happened to the Israelites in New Springs. This is huge. The worst thing that can happen is for Satan to convince us that the wilderness is our destination. Because see, if, if, if Satan can convince you that the desert is your destination, the next thing that will happen is you will blame God and you will say, why did God bring me to this place? And the whole problem is, you know, here, Satan has convinced us that the wilderness is our destination. If Satan can't get you to blow up your life by rejecting Jesus, he will gladly settle for letting you slowly waste it in the wilderness. So here we are. God's, God had promised them a, a special land, but we see them get hungry. We see them run out of water. We see snakes. We see them restless and always on the move, going in circles. We see them frustrated, angry with God. I mean, you see it all through Exodus and Numbers um, and, and, and Leviticus. And look at their attitude toward God. In Deuteronomy one twenty seven, God says, you complained in your tents and said, the Lord must hate us. Numbers 21.4, the people grew impatient with the long journey and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing here uh, to eat here and nothing to drink and we hate this horrible manna. Okay, we're sympathetic with them. I mean, that's right. I mean, they ate the same thing all the time. They ate manna. Now, the Bible says manna was angel's food. So evidently, God took food off the angel's table and gave it to them down there on the earth. We don't know exactly what manna is. The name manna means what is it? That's, that's true. That's what the Hebrew means. What is it? I think it was chocolate chip cookies. I don't, I don't know. I just, what is it? It just showed up every morning. I mean, they're in the wilderness. They're starving to death. There's they're, they're no Chick-fil-A out there. And God just rains down manna. We, we, know, we know from the Bible it tasted a little bit like wafers with honey. But they had it every meal. I mean, what's for breakfast? Manna. The kids say, what's for lunch today? We're having manna. What's for dinner? Manna. What's for Thanksgiving? Manna. Christmas dinner? Manna. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. You know, there's these silly diets where people, you know, eat the same thing over and over and they say you'll lose weight if you just eat the same thing over and over. It's typically something that sounds really good, but I'm telling you about three weeks of that and you're like, I don't ever want to see this again. <laughs> I, I get it. And on top of that, they had it every day, every meal for 38 years. I'm sympathetic. I mean, you would be too. 
but they weren't supposed to be there. See, that wasn't God's destiny for them. I mean, what was supposed to be an 11-day intensive lesson learning experience became a lifetime because they chose it. And for New Springers today, I want us to know that we can break free. We don't have to stay in the wilderness. I mean, the Bible tells us God still offers the opportunity to break free. You know how, you know how they train elephants for the circus? You know, they have to keep them they have to keep them in line and keep them from going away. So when the elephant's a baby elephant, they'll put an iron band around the lower leg or the foot of the elephant. And it isn't long before the elephant gets so big, he could break free at any time, but he's so accustomed to having that shackle on his leg that he just never even tries. And I just, I see so many Christ followers in that same thing. You know, Satan has put some kind of shackle of substance abuse or attitude or anger issues. I mean, and, and, and Satan says, this is, who, this is what you used to be and this is what you still are. And you know what? This is all you can ever expect from following God. Maybe he'll take you to heaven when you die. But the good news is for all of us, we don't have to stay that way. I mean, God has given us a strength where we can break free from that and move on toward the promised land. No, oh, but so many people are slowly using up their life in the wilderness. Year by year, birthday by birthday go by. And it's the same. And they're sometimes angry at God. And they're shackled unnecessarily. And like manna, so many of us, our spiritual experience is the same thing every day. We never experience the newness with God that he wants us to experience. Well, here's my question for all of us today. And, and I need this. I mean, because I think all of us are in some kind of wilderness experience. I was praying at three o'clock this morning and I said, God, I want to have your best in my life. I need this series. I want, don't you want to go to the promised land? Don't you want to see what you were meant to be? I mean, here's the thing. So many of us feel like a failure. I mean, and, and again, we are flawed, imperfect people, but we have the Holy Spirit of God to help us. Wouldn't you like to experience at least for a little while what your destiny was meant to be? My dad, my dad was a pastor and he told stories and there's a story he told over and over when I was a kid and it still stays with me to this day. He talked about a man who wanted a lot of things in heaven and I mean, a lot of things in his life on earth and he never got them. But when he got to heaven, he was being shown around and he was shown a room and in the room was everything that he ever wanted. And he asked, well, why didn't I get these things on the earth? And according to dad's story, the, Peter or whoever was showing him around said, because you never asked God for them. I still think about that story sometimes, but I think about it with a little bit of a different iteration. I don't want to get to heaven and the Lord show me around and take me to a room and play a video for what I could have been. And the Lord will say, Mark, you could have been so much more. You could have experienced me so much more. You could have walked with me so much closer. You could have experienced miracles. There were miracles available for you to experience, but Mark, you just wouldn't go into the promised land. I'm just saying, how many of us are eating manna every day? Wouldn't you like to have the milk and honey and grapes and corn and the delicacies of being in God's will? Oh, that's what this series promises. Well, come back next week and I'll tell you how. No, no. I, you drove a long way, many of you, to be at New Spring today. I want to give you something from the word of God for how to turn the page. And we're just going to make a start today. I want to give you two things. First of all, I want you to hear something from the scripture. And I want you to hear what God said to the Israelites, but I want you to hear it personally. For all of us who are ready to go to the promised land, 
Deuteronomy 1, verse, 2 verse 1 says, we wandered around for a long time. And for many of us, that's our experience. We wandered around for a long time. Then at last, the Lord said to me, you've been wandering around long enough. Turn. Oh, do you feel that today? I mean, God's like, enough. Enough in the wilderness. Enough in the desert. Enough of bumping along the bottom. God is like, come on over to the promised land. Here's a postcard from the promised land. Come over here. You've been wandering around. Turn. I do a lot of speaking in the southeastern United States, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama. The one thing about the southeast that I can never figure out is their love for NASCAR. <laughs> I mean, every one of them, they have a favorite driver. I mean, if you go into their houses, they have a picture of Jesus and they have a picture of their favorite driver side by side. <laughs> they have a driver they love and a driver they hate. I, I try to get into it. I try to watch it with close friends. To me, they're just going, it's all left turns. They don't ever turn the steering wheel to the right. And, let, and you know, so I just like, I don't understand this, but I, I just keep thinking, I sure would like for some of you guys just to be able to break free from that track because they're going over and over and over and over again. That's what God said. God is like, enough, enough left turns. Turn right, turn right. Well, as I said, for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about what this turnaround looks like. And I'm sorry that today's talk has been dry. Next week's talk, you're not going to want to miss that. It's called Toes in the Water. It's like early steps. But for anybody who's ready to experience God's best, let me give you two major, major themes, and then we'll go home or go out to eat or wherever you're going. Number one. And I... I hope when you listen to me preach, you don't think I'm an expert on this because the word of God is working through my heart too. And at three o'clock this morning, God was working on my heart saying, Mark, were you listening to the sermon last night that you preached? <laughs> Here's number one. This is so big. And it's the reason why it's, this is a deal breaker for a lot of people. Number one, we have to choose to fully accept God's destiny with no rebellion. Now, if you're looking at that point on the IMAG, you'll notice that I have no in all caps. Why do I stress that? Did I just come up with that by myself? Is that something I just thought of while I was working on the sermon? No, no, no. I went straight to the word of God to look at that story back there and to pull out of it the lesson of why the Israelites did not go to the promised land. Read with me, Deuteronomy 9, 7. From the day you left Egypt until now, you have been constantly rebelling against the Lord. Deuteronomy 9.23, the Lord sent you out with this command, go up and take over the land I've given you, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to, put, refused to put your trust in him or obey him. Yes, you have been rebelling against the Lord as long as I've known you. So I want you to see, I didn't just make that up. I mean, when God was talking to this generation and said, the reason you're not in the promised land is rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. Modern American Christians in the 21st century largely have a salad bar idea of God's word. You know, because you a salad bar, well, I, don't, I don't like broccoli, you know, or I don't like this, and I'll t I like this, I don't like this. So many American Christians have that idea. I like what God says about salvation being free. I don't like what God says about human sexuality. And you know, I don't pay any attention to this, but... Every once in a while, rarely, someone's going to write a letter that will sneak through to me. And the idea is, oh, I didn't like what pastor preached on that, so I just don't believe that. 
but it's a person who claims to be a Christ follower. Or I just don't think that's right for 21st century America. Here's the idea. And there's no getting around this. For those of us who are Christ followers, there is massive power available for us. There is massive freedom. There's massive blessing waiting for all of us. But the moment I rebel and take my life in my hands, it all evaporates and goes away. That power you crave, that blessing that you crave, if you and I rebel against God and say, God, I think this might have been okay 2,000 years ago, but I don't think it's okay today. I mean, Americans just have a different view of that today. Then just forget about going to the promised land. Just don't even, don't even don't, it's not even a possibility. Circles, 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 desert, dry, manna only experience. Because God will not put his power behind my agenda. God will only put his power in my life if I will fully lock, stop, and barrel decide, God, you are right, and I'm trusting you. And this idea of, well, I like this, but I don't like this, and I'm okay with what God says about this, but I'm not okay with that. All God hears when we say that is rebellion and flipping him off. And someone could say, well, Mark, I still have doubts, but here's the thing. There's a lot of difference between doubt and unbelief. If, if I doubt, I'm just saying, God, I'm struggling. I mean, this is such a big concept and I'm such a frail person. I'm struggling to process everything that you've said. That's doubt. God can work with doubt. What he can't work with is unbelief. Unbelief says, God, I heard what you have to say, but I think you're wrong. And the Bible tells us the reason why the Israelites could not go into the promised land, this is in the book of Hebrews, was because of their unbelief, their rebellion. And so if I want to go to the promised land, I have to accept God's destiny for my life with no rebellion. And as I told you, the Holy Spirit is working. Because see, I don't consider myself a rebellious person. I'm really, I've always been good with authority, but the Lord was showing me last night there was some tacit, there was kind of some soft-edged rebellion in my life. Because sometimes I have creative ways of telling God no. Am I talking to anybody right now? God, I know what you said, but in this situation here, yeah. And God is saying to me, Mark, if you want to fully go into the land, you got to fully take my plan. No rebellion. Number two, get close to God. If you're in the wilderness and you want to get out, the first thing you need to do is come close to God and just bring God fully into your life. In the book of James chapter four of our saint, the Bible says, come close to God and God will draw close to you. If you'll take one step toward God, he'll take 10 steps towards you. I mean, somebody, I'd be talking to somebody and say, Mark, it's me. I am in the wilderness. I've been there for a long time. I'm wandering in circles. Well, get close to God. I mean, just when you, when you leave this place today, have some time alone with God where you're saying, God, I want this to change in my life. And I don't mean to get on the soapbox for a moment, but I know how my life is. Most of us have so much electronic media and electronic devices in our life. If God wanted to break through, he'd have a hard time. I'm that way. I mean, I've got... I've got so many things that are supposed to be smart. Smartphone, smartwatch, iPads everywhere. I mean, I got all this electronic device and, and I'm connected and I can find myself. If I'm, talk, if I'm not talking to someone, it's just natural. Take my phone out of my pocket. It's like, it's so hard for me to find a moment in the day when I'm not quote unquote connected. And yet I don't know if we're nearly as connected as we think we are. 
I've begun to realize if I'm going to the promised land, I'm going to have to put all that down for a little while and just spend some time reading God's word, talking to God, listening to God, listening to God. I mean, sometimes it's good to just get in God's presence and say, God, I'm shutting everything off for a little while where I can just hear from you. I mean, if you were trapped in a prison and you knew somebody had the key, would you spend your time and energy trying to break out or would you be looking for the person with the key? And God's got the key to break us out of the desert and get us into the promised land. It's 12.15. Can I have two more minutes? Okay. There is a verse in the Old Testament that I love. Do you ever read a verse in the Bible where it's kind of like a promise that God makes, in kind of a general promise, and you're like, Lord, here I am. I want that. Well, that's how I feel about this verse. I want to read it out of the message. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. God is always on the alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally, mm, totally committed to him. <laughs> I memorized everything in the King James Version, where it says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth looking for somebody. See, see God is looking for people to bless. God, is, his eyes are scanning the earth. He's looking for that woman. Who that, one, that woman who will say, God, I'm your daughter. And I'm, I'm all about you. And whatever your plan is for my life, that's what I'm gonna, that's what I want. I, I know I've got flaws and failures, but God, here I am. I'm your woman. I belong to you. I'm your warrior daughter. And God is like, okay, I want you for my team. I mean, I'm about to do great things in the world. I love a lot of people. Got a lot of family that have prayed to accept Jesus, but I want you on my team. Where's the man? In the 21st century, maybe I should just start here. Where's the man who will be a man? I'm talking about a man who's not playing video games 20 hours a day. I'm talking about a man whose word is good. If he says something, he, I'm talking about a man who is selfish. I'm talking about a man who treats women respectfully. I mean, where is the man who will be a man and a man who will be a man of God and a guy who will say, hey, I'm flawed, I'm not perfect, but God, I'm your man and I'm, I'm ready to do things your way. And God, I'm fully committed to you. And I know what this world says, but I'm not listening to that. I'm listening to what you have to say. I wanna be your man. And God's like, I want him for my team. Because the eyes of the Lord are going back and forth throughout the world, looking for people whose hearts are totally committed to him. If you want to go to the promised land, trust God with his agenda for your life, no rebellion, and then get close to God. And you'll be ready for next week's message, Toes in the Water. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for listening. If you're here today and you say, Mark, at the early part of this message, you talked about leaving Egypt. You talked about the free gift of God of eternal life. And I want to make sure that I have that. I mean, when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, all your sins are forgiven. You become God's daughter, God's son. You become an heir to all the things that Christ earned. And more than that, you have God to walk with you every day of your life until you get to heaven and then eternity with him. And it's all free. You can't do anything to earn this. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So at every service at New Spring, we want to have a moment where we just have the chance for you to pray to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and leave the bondage 
of this world. So I'm going to pray this prayer line by line. You have an opportunity to pray it with me if you want to. Uh, You don't have to pray out loud. You can just pray this in your heart. But here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. But I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, because you may be going through some wilderness, I want to, we want to give you a, a package. This is free. It won't cost you anything. If you're watching online or, or watching on television, all you have to do is text the word PRAY to 97,000, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. Follow the instructions and we'll get this to you. There's a Bible. There's a book I wrote called My New Walk with God. There's a journal and some gifts. If you're on campus today in any place, you don't have to wait. You can go get it right now. Just go to any info center and say, I pray with Mark, and uh, we'll give it to you right now. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.